Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through the hearing of the message of Jesus, fill our hearts, fill our very being with your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing so that this dry and parched world sees Jesus in us. We ask in his name. Amen. Christianity is totally unique. It is the only religion in the world that offers a direct and personal experience of God. The substance of God, his Holy Spirit. Now, you're probably thinking of the new age religions that say everyone has the spark of God in them. We're not talking about a spark. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. That passage that you'd probably noticed in your service theme, it's amazing. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We are partakers of the divine nature. Really? God is so enamored with us that he gives us himself. So I want to ask three questions, and the first one is, how are the reservoirs of the Holy Spirit opened? How is it that the river flows with life-giving, thirst-quenching water? Well, John makes a very interesting comment at the end of our Gospel reading. He says, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he hasn't come yet because Jesus has not yet been glorified. Now, if you've been with me for any amount of time, you know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus is glorified when he is lifted up on the cross. Jesus is glorified when the soldiers arrest him at night, when he is spit on and beaten and scourged and crowned with thorns and nailed to a cross, that is God's glory because it is a revelation of God's amazing love. So Jesus, in our text, when he talks of rivers of living water, I think in the first instance, he's referring to Ezekiel's vision of the temple and the water flowing out of the temple and becoming a river. So big, so huge, so large, so deep that it freshens the Dead Sea. So how many of you know how salty the Dead Sea is? The answer is really salty. 34% salinity, 10 times saltier than the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean. There's no creatures in the Dead Sea. There are minute organisms. There's no fish in the Dead Sea. 
But Ezekiel sees God working an amazing thing that this river coming out of the temple goes into the Dead Sea and makes it alive. Now you know from the 1 Corinthians 6 reading who the temple is. What Ezekiel is talking about? He's talking about the same thing Jesus is. Those who believe in me from their inmost being will flow rivers of living water out into this dry and thirsty and parched world of ours. There is also possibly, and one of my favorite preachers hones in on this passage, Exodus 17. The people are thirsty. Well, of course, they're in the desert. And they're ready to kill Moses. Why did you lead us out of Egypt to die in this forsaken desert of thirst? So Moses goes to God with a complaint. Help! They're ready to kill me. And God says, okay, take your staff. You know the magic one, the one you use to touch the Nile and all those signs in Egypt. And see that rock over there? Strike that rock. Well, then the text tells us something amazing that I'm sure Moses did not fully understand or most of the people in the Old Testament did not completely comprehend. It tells us that God goes and stands in front of the rock. So that when Moses goes to strike the rock, God takes the blow. Remember, by his stripes we are healed. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was crowned with thorns. He was nailed to a cross. He took the blow for our cosmic stupidity and pig-headed stubbornness. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 10, the rock is Christ. He's the one who will take the blow for you. For your rebellion. For your always insisting that I'm Lord of my life. Stuff. He will take the blow for the cosmic stupidity of this world of ours. Thinking they are in charge, thinking they are Lord of their lives, thinking that if only God would listen to them, things would go a lot better. So, how are the reservoirs of this water, how is this massive river of living water brought into our lives through Jesus taking the blow. Through Jesus being struck, mocked, spit on, crowned with sharp thorns, nailed to a cruel cross. The rock was Christ.
So how, point number two, does the Holy Spirit come into our lives? Well, those of you who have been in the Galatians Bible class, you perhaps remember Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, where Paul asks the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or through hearing with faith? Now, what is so cool about Greek is there's a way to ask the question that you know what the answer is. It's, it's very subtle, but it's the use of two particles. And in the Greek, it indicates, no, we didn't receive the Holy Spirit through works of the law. That wasn't it. It wasn't that we got down on our knees and groveled and say, please, Holy Spirit, come into my life. That wasn't it at all. It was through hearing with faith, through hearing the message of Jesus, through hearing of his amazing, massive, overwhelming love and forgiveness and acceptance. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives through hearing the message. Now, in the preface to the Lord's Meal today from Luther's large catechism, Luther makes mention that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives through the Lord's Supper, that this is the visible word, as St. Augustine claimed, that this is the message of Christ and his love condensed to bread and wine. So not only do you hear the words, you can taste the bread, you can drink the wine, you can experience his love. So final question. What's the result? Well, by now you're probably wondering, when's he going to get to the point of the text? Jesus says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from his inmost being. So what does that mean? They're flowing out of us. And incidentally, let me just backtrack just a touch. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Jesus says, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me. Believing in Jesus basically comprises two things. One is being thirsty. Do you sense an emptiness, a void, a thirst in your life for something more than you can acquire by your own best efforts? Do you sense that you need God's love and approval and acceptance and forgiveness and righteousness to fill that emptiness in your life? I don't know if you've ever looked at the world like this, but look at those people out there as thirsty people. And what they're doing is they're trying to quench their thirst. They're trying to somehow fill the void 
to satisfy or quench their thirst. And they go here and they go there and they do this and they do that and they think, if only I have this person in my life, if only I get this job, if only I could make more money, if only I could move to Tillamook, which is the paradise of the United States. Our lives are filled with if-onlys, and we spend our lives struggling and looking and searching for something that will quench our thirst. But secondly, Jesus says, all who are thirsty, come to me. What does it mean to come to Jesus? It means to look, to see to experience what he has done for us. That's what the Lord's meal is. It's an experience of his death. That your brain and your heart might say, wow, he did that for me? I mean, the Lord of the universe was stripped naked, beaten, scourged, crowned with thorns, and nailed to a cross for me? And when you see that, and when that warms your heart, and when that transforms your mind, that's what it means to trust him. To value what he has done for you. And the result of that is that first of all, people will see in you a confidence that cannot be created by the world. People may criticize you. No big deal. In Christ, you're perfectly righteous. Your mind may be filled with feelings of guilt and shame. No biggie. In Christ, you have total and perfect forgiveness. We see the world drawing nearer and nearer to the grave, and they're unnerved. They're beside themselves. And their funeral sermon is nothing more than, yeah, he was a pretty good sort. That's not going to get you through the shadow of death, the grave. You have a confidence in Christ that cannot be shaken. I was uh, listening to a sermon driving here yesterday, and it was about Jairus' daughter. And the pastor says, he takes her by the hand. Most versions have little girl get up, but it's a diminutive, it's a special word. The best translation this pastor has ever come across is he said, he takes the little girl by the hand and he says, honey, it's time to get up. Like a mother or father waking their child from a night's sleep, and when we take Jesus by the hand, 
He will pull us through death like it's nothing more than a good night's sleep. What about courage? You know, we live in a world where seemingly, at least in our country, politics is everything. If we get the person we want elected, things are good, and if we don't, well, then we grump for four years. Do you have the courage to believe that God knows what he's doing? That behind the shenanigans and the back and forth of history and politics and countries, that God is accomplishing something grand, something amazing. Do you have that kind of courage to live your life not looking down at the ground, but with your head held high and saying, I know the king of the universe. I know who's in control. Do you have the courage to live a life that is not dejected or depressed or filled with dismay? Do you have the courage to let people see you living, really living, not preoccupied with the things that most people say are bad or wrong, but preoccupied with the king of the universe who is your Lord, who has redeemed you, purchased and won you from all sins, from death, and from the wily shenanigans of the devil. The final C is perhaps the most important as a means of which the river bursts forth from us into this world, and that is caring. Do we care about other people, whether we agree with them or not? Do we care about the needs, physical and spiritual, of people in this world? Do we have a sense that God has put us at this time in history in this place, with these friends and these family members, that they might see Christ in us. You know what Dwight Moody said? It's a famous statement, and I'm sure you've heard it. The only Bible most people will read is me. Do they see Christ's love and concern in you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit is alive and well and within us. May that power, may that rushing, life-giving river burst from our being into this thirsty, parched, world of ours. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.